I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down a $4.5 million asking price physical therapy practice in the state of Washington. And we are speaking with Andrew Vertson, physical therapist and practice owner of Intercore Physical Therapy. They have four locations in California, three locations in Washington state. And we're going to, Andrew and I are going to be breaking down this business listing. So if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, definitely jump over to the YouTube. We're going to be screen sharing this public business listing of this physical therapy practice for sale. We're going to go through the gross revenue, how many millions, the EBITDA, the other figures and the rent and much more about this type of deal, like, should we, you know, acquire this deal? Should we, should we do it? Should Andrew do it? Cause it's over in his area. We're going to get into all of that and more. But first, Andrew, welcome on. What's going on? Dave, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been too long. Excited to talk about this deal. Excited just to talk about PT in general, PT ownership in general. It's, uh, yeah, you know, the entrepreneur side of me, it's right down my wheelhouse. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you were on my previous show, PT Tech Talk years ago with Rob Vining. And yeah. so it's been a while. I, I reached back out and you've been a practice owner for many years. About how many did you say of ownership? So my daughters turned 24 in two months and I opened my first practice 10 days after their birth. I have twins. So in June of this year, it'll be 24 years that I opened my first one. And in that 24 year period of time, I've opened 12 or 14 on my own. And I've worked with companies to open another 10 plus. So probably 25 total. And, and again, all de novo clinics, no acquisitions. It's all been starting from scratch and building from the ground up. And that's kind of really what I love. I, to me, you know, I came out of PT school, loved treating patients, did it for a long time. But again, that entrepreneur side of me, let's open businesses. Let's open more businesses. So 24 years we're coming up on. Excellent. And so, but in that span of time, I think in the pre-interview, you did mention like from, you know, here or there, you did look at potential acquisitions over that time. You just happened to, you know, go the route of de novos, but you did look at potentially acquiring some practices here or there. Yes. You know, really probably 10 years ago, I really started to decide, okay, let's expand in a core. Let's open and, you know, opening in other states, opening in current states, et cetera. How do we do that? Well, you know, one of the quick ways to grow is through acquisition. And so back then really started to put my ear to the floor, listen to see who's selling, started looking at financials, started, you know, yes, no, no go decisions. Ultimately, up to this point, I have yet to acquire one for a myriad of reasons. And usually it comes down to the price. And what I feel is a good value doesn't necessarily agree with the owner's, seller's value of it. But like we talked about, you know, that's where, you know, it's their baby. It's their emotion gets in the way and usually don't come to a good conclusion that that direction. And if it's not the financials, it's typically like the team or culture, right? 
that could be yeah. the roadblock as to why someone might not want to partner or acquire? A lot of times it's, it's the culture of the practice or the team members of the practice. You know, it's, they do not like change. No one likes change. They don't like change and they'll make it known they don't like change. So it doesn't do you any good to acquire a practice where you're going to completely have to flip all of your staff in the first year. Then you're buying a worthless practice. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's, let's get into this listing again. This is public. This is on bizbuysell.com. So this, anyone could pull this up. You could just type in physical therapy businesses or practices for sale, scroll through, and you'll find this listing and other listings. So Andrew, how about this? I'll briefly or quickly run through this listing. And sure. I want to kick it over to you in terms of just like your initial thoughts, initial takeaways, and then we'll kind of, you know, riff on the numbers and some of the other things that we see in this listing. And then obviously like this is only somewhat of a picture because, you know, typically we'd have to send information in, get in front of this broker or advisor or intermediary, sign in a non-disclosure agreement, and then they would send us actual, you know, financials and we'd get more of a picture. This is kind of like a snapshot or a little bit of a preview, right? Sure. Yep. Okay. So is it Yakima County, Washington? Yakima County. And what's Yakima. Yakima County, my stepdaughter is in medical school in Yakima County. And so I know the city of Yakima well. There's actually a medical school in Yakima that recently opened a physical therapy school. So they're in their first year, actually. The PTs are in their first year at this school in Yakima. So, you know, you should hopefully have a flood of therapists here, at least students coming up. There you go. You got a, you got a pipeline of DPTs nearby. There you go. That, that's right. Okay, so this practice listing is an outpatient physical therapy practice, asking price $4.5 million. The cash flow is $1.3 million. Gross revenue of the practice annually, $2.35 million. There's no inventory because physical therapy usually doesn't have inventory. We're looking at an EBITDA of $276,000. Furniture, fixtures, and equipment, which would be, you know, the high-low tables, the laptops, the computers, $224,000. I you know, we can get back in at this. I think that like, that oh, yeah. seems like very expensive, <laughs> right? Yeah. There, there's a lot of questions in that one. Yeah. We're looking at, uh, this is a lease, right? So most of the, yeah. and I don't know about with you guys are with Intercor are most of you, um, most of your offices are all the offices. Do you lease or do you own the real estate? You know, unfortunately all of our offices are lease offices. I have looked at trying to buy, but you know, especially in California, the cost, I mean, you're talking, you know, my, my one office where, which is actually a medical condo is up for sale right now for about $2 million. So you kind of run the numbers and I actually had the opportunity to buy it 10 years ago at $750,000. And my accountant and I ran the numbers and he said, well, you know, from a cost standpoint, you might as well just lease it. Granted, you know, I missed out on. (laughs) (laughs) $1.3 million in appreciation, but that's so be it. So no, unfortunately, all of mine are, are, are leased. And, you know, when you look at that price, that is actually two times what my most expensive practice is here in Washington. Now, granted, this is two offices that as we see later on, this is two offices, but you know, that's a lot. It's a lot in rent, but when you look at the gross revenue, it actually isn't too bad. But we'll talk about that here in a yeah. second. 
I'm sorry, I kind of got off track. So rents about 7,000 per month. This practice was established in 2005, which is great. So in terms of acquisitions, we're not looking to acquire a startup. We're looking to get something that's like stable. It's been in the community. So 2005 is great. We'll get into the business description now. So this is a physical therapy practice. It's a therapist owned outpatient ortho physical therapy private practice. They specialize in ortho and sports injuries, concussion. They provide a wide range of services. Again, started in 2005, owned by one individual, which is good because if you're going to work on negotiating and doing a deal, it's not like multiple people to get like some consensus of a decision, but one person. So that's one thing that's good with looking at a, a business listing. As Andrew said, two locations in central Washington area, one location's lease rate was above market rate and has been negotiated down. So that's great. Lease rate increased 2% annually. The facility is owned by the current owner, leased back to the company at rates near market. So that's good. If the company is sold, the lease rate will not change. Great. And it sounds like this individual would then continue to be the landlord. The physical therapy practice itself has 12 staff members, including therapists, receptionists, billing specialists, and aides. After operating the business for 17 years, the owner has decided to retire to pursue other opportunities, willing to stay on for 12 months in an advisory capacity, which is great because we want to have, we want to de-risk the situation. We want to have some transition. We don't want too many waves or, or culture or morale to drastically change. And with the owner staying there, either in a day-to-day capacity or weekly or whatever that capacity might be, 12 months is a really good timeline. There's other corporates that have been on the show or others that have talked about corporates on the show that you know typically want a seller, the, the practice owner, to stay on for 12 to 24 months. And sometimes it could be even longer. So, and again, we'll get into it, but like if it's an absentee owner, it could be shorter, right? So complete detailed information about this company is available once you sign the non-disclosure agreement. And we got the Yakima County, it's leased, the real estate is leased, building square footage, 3,576 square feet, 12 employees that we talked about. We have the two spaces, 2,470 square feet of the one location, and then 1,100 square feet of the second location, both spaces fully equipped with the necessary tools and equipment for a physical therapist. Local market, I like this, describing the competition, local market, seven direct competitors, so other practices nearby. However, this physical therapy practice differentiates itself through its specialty services, including an endorsement for spinal manipulation and concussion certification, growth and expansion. Real real quick, the endorsement for spinal manipulation, it's a requirement here in the state of Washington. Okay, interesting. To do a grade five mobilization, you have to have a spinal manipulation endorsement. Your therapist does. You know, I don't typically do grade so five mobilizations because I don't need to. But yes, that's a requirement by a licensure requirement here in California. So that is exactly why that is stated in this competition section. Right, see, I, this is why I had to bring in a, a local or regional specialist for this. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So growth and expansion, the practice is established in the community and in the, in the current market. However, they could expand to neighboring markets for growth opportunity Supporting training owner, as we said, is willing to stay on for 12 months to ensure a smooth transition for new owners. This is music to my ears. This is what we want to see and, and hear. They will provide necessary training to allow the new owners to succeed and be successful. Reason for selling is retirement. I like how they always list this because we want to know like, hey, why are you leaving? Like, why are you considering leaving? You know, is there something wrong in the business? Is there, if there's any liens or litigation, we're going to find it anyway. But like, what's the reason that you're looking to retire or transition? So. This is all of the current public listing. 
So Andrew, let me first kick it over to you. When you see this listing that I sent over, other than that it's, you know, it's in the it's in Washington State. I don't know if you want to comment here. I mean, most of these are listed with seller finance. We can, you know, we can get into that. But $4.5 million asking price, gross revenue, $2.3 million. We can get into more of the financials. When you see this, what is your initial thought, initial takeaways? I laugh. Okay, why? <laughs> so first thing you look at, you look at gross revenue, $2.3 million. Okay, great. So you know from that aspect, it's a decent size practice. Or you know, you've got two offices. It's a nice, decent size practice. You look at the next line. You go, okay, it's got an EBIT of two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, so ten percent. Okay, yeah, there's a little low. We know we're going to have owner addbacks in there. Again, most offices, most PT practices, and you know, in all honesty, when you look nationwide, most PT practices are already fifteen to twenty percent profit ratio. Good ones are 20 plus, you know, here in Washington, we can push a 30% profit ratio just because of our fee schedules. So I, again, being in Washington, I know 30% should be a quote, typical EBITDA. So I look at that EBITDA, it's a little low for some reason, we need to dig in deeper, but even if it was double, even if it was $500,000 EBITDA, where do you get a $4.5 million asking price? Where do you get a 9X multiple? Yes, it's two offices. The second office, a thousand square feet, is not a not a hugely viable office. Yes, you have two offices. It's a small satellite office. And so, you know, kind of rule of thumb, a single practice is three to four multiples. If you've got two, you're kind of in that four to five multiples if it's really good. There's no way you're going to get a nine multiple for this practice. But then you look up at the top and you go, okay, I've got an EBITDA $275,000, but I have a cash flow of $1.3 million. So my total expenses to run this practice, this $2.3 million practice, my total expenses are only a million dollars a year. Something just doesn't sound right off the top. Yeah. And I just hovered over the the little icon next to cash flow. So this is the standard little pop-up here on this website. So under cash flow, arrived at by starting with your net before tax profit, then add back in any payments made to the owner, interest and any depreciation or assets. So that would be like owner's perks and other things. For example, if the net profit before taxes was $100,000 and the owner was paid $70,000, then the cash flow is 170000 So, yeah, I mean, I don't understand either. Like, first of all, I agree with you on if if the EBITDA is actually $276,000, $4.5 million asking price is just, it's like in another stratosphere. It just, it, there is, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was my first red flag was, you know, you list the EBITDA, which is low. You can tell it's low. But then in relation that EBITDA in relation to the asking price is exorbitant. And then you look next down at the equipment and furnishings, $225,000 there. Unless you went and bought everything brand new in December, there's no value in your... If this clinic was open in 2005, I guarantee you there is equipment that's been in there since 2005 that has been depreciated. Fully depreciated, right? Fully depreciated at this point. So the fair market value of that equipment 
in all honesty, when I look at buying a practice that is a quote used practice like this, the furniture and equipment has minimal to no value to me because it has been depreciated. And you'll see that in the tax returns going backwards. Again, it's 10, 15, 20 years old. You can go out and buy a new plinth for $400. So I don't quite understand where they get $225,000 worth of equipment. That's a huge red flag. Does not make sense. Even on the high end, like those uh, Cardone tables or Cardon tables that are the high-low tables that are real sleek, those are what, three grand, maybe five grand at the most? Yeah, you figure if you get a really, really, really good, let's say they have 10 high-low tables and they're three grand each, there's 30,000 bucks. You know, do they have, do they have an anti-gravity treadmill? Okay. You know, there's 40 to 50,000 bucks, but again, it's not brand new. You start to look at a, the cost to put together a practice with all brand new equipment, 50, 60,000 bucks for a typical practice. Yes, you have two offices, but a thousand square feet, you're not going to fit that many tables in a thousand square foot office. You know, you buy a new side fit upper body ergometer, it's going to run you five, six thousand bucks. They didn't buy one last year. They did not, especially if they're selling, they didn't buy brand new equipment last year. Right. Cause if they're, if they're putting this listing publicly, then they probably have been thinking about selling for the past few years. Right. right? And now, they would one, probably not make big capital expenditures while thinking that. Correct. Now, one thing that, you know, it does talk about, they recently moved to a new location. So they probably put TIs in and that's where that comes into play. But again, those TIs are worthless to me. You know, I'm not keeping the cabinets. I'm not keeping the flooring. And when I move out, that's again, you pay what, for what it. You, what did you say? Not, TI? What's TI? TI is a tenant improvement. Oh, sure. So Typically, when you want to renegotiate or negotiate a lease, you get the landlord to pay for these tenant improvements, paint, carpet, putting up walls, taking down walls, cabinets, et cetera, because they are fixed assets to the space, not to you. When this lease expires, you're not pulling all those cabinets out, taking them home. So, you know, there's some of that built into there. But again, I still look and I go $225,000, no way. Is there $225,000 in furniture in this furniture and equipment in this business? Unless you got a Lamborghini that's parked somewhere in the back. And that could be part of the owner's perks. You never know. (laughs) It could be. It could be. Okay. So again, you were saying a practice of this size might be at a 3X to 4X multiple of EBITDA. So if this 276,276... Let's just be generous. I, I, I give it a four. four. I give it a four x multiple. You know, it's it's been around since two thousand five, so it has longevity. You've got two spaces. You know, you got two offices. You're doing, if, you know, when you look at the numbers, consistent revenue. So it's at least a four multiple, four to five, depending upon you know, again, the, some of the internal intrinsics of it. So let's say a four multiple. So that comes out. So that would be a $1.1 million offer if we were going to say, you know, hey, we'll put an offer in, but, you know, it's going to be a different number than what you had listed. Right. And, you know, so honestly, when you look at valuations, there's two things to look at. You know, you do a multiple of EBITDA or you do a multiple of the cash flow. You're not going to do a 4X multiple of cash flow. 
cash flow is going to be one and a half, maybe. So again, now you're looking at, you know, 1.8. So you look at EBIT at a 4X, you know, 1.1. If it's a 5X, you're at 1.3-ish. And you do one and a half cash flow, you're at, you know, 1.8. But if we're taking a cash flow of 1.3 million times three, we're not even at the asking price. So this is asking for over three times cash flow. Correct. And maybe either the broker or the seller was like, or even us too low. You know, if the, if the, if the market is, you know, a three or four X multiple, we need a different number. So let's do it based right. off of cash flow and not on EBITDA, right? And so here's what's interesting. And, and just looking at this top number, there's a lot of information we can garner from it. So a gross revenue of $2.35 million. If we average, and I, I'm going to be generous here, and we're going to average $120 a visit. That comes out to 19,608 visits a year. Okay. Give or take. You have four PTs because it lists down there, you know, your P, you have 12, including there's four PTs. Those four PTs are doing 409 visits per month per therapist. That doesn't even sound right. That's almost a hundred visits. That's a, that's a hundred visits a week per therapist, week in, week out. Which would be 20 patients per day if they were a 40 hour per week therapist. So 20 visits a day is a lot. That's crazy. That's a lot. That is a lot. What, what are your, what are your, ther- what are your therapists seeing per day approximately? Just to give anyone that's watching a little, uh, context 12 to 14. So this practice based on these numbers are seeing almost twice it's a mill. <laughs> it's a mill, first of all. And so again, when we talked earlier about the intrinsics, the, the culture, uh, you know, that it's a mill, you know, and not even, I don't even want to get into the compliance standpoint, but that's a lot of people coming through this practice. And you've got 2,470 square feet in one office. You got 1,100 square feet in another office. On average, that 2,470 square feet, typically that's about 247 visits a week you can push through there. The 1,100 square foot office, if you're lucky, the rule of thumb is 10 visits or 100 visits for every 1,000 square feet. You know, you're not going to get 100 visits in that 1,100 square foot space. You're going to be on top of each other. But if you just look at the average numbers of 100 visits per thousand square feet, you're actually over capacity from that standpoint. Again, they could be open from 6 a.m. to midnight. We don't know. But just from looking at the high level, a lot of things just raise red flags in my mind. Again, 20 visits a day consistently per therapist over capacity. There's a lot of things that raise red flags. And I forgot that this one was the one with the offering memorandum. Do you have more to uh, riff on this or do you want to jump over to that? Well, let's go into the offering memorandum because there's a lot of things in there that I kind of go, hmm. (laughs) All right. So again, this is all public. You guys can go and check this out. But so this offering memorandum, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, AAI financial. At first I was like, maybe this is like an investment banker or whatever, but I think they're just brokers. So right. um, let's go into it. And same thing, asking price 4.5 million. Here's a little confidentiality disclaimer. You guys can read that a little bit later. Let me see if I can just zoom in here. 
table of contents, business overview. A lot of this is probably going to be similar to, yeah, 12 team members, receptionist billing, all that. Where do you want me to stop? Okay, you can stop right here. You know, it is an equity stock sale. So the nice thing is everything comes with you. You, You're buying the entire business. You know, one thing you have to look at when you're purchasing a practice, the, the biggest thing is the business licenses, but more the contracts which are tied to the tax ID. And what's interesting is I run across a number of people lately who have gone with a a certain franchise group and they haven't realized when you open a new tax ID, the length of time to contract with insurance companies and it wasn't part of their pro forma. So they're having huge cash flow issues because they did not understand the time component with insurance contracting, especially Medicare. Um, so the nice thing is the contracts are coming with it. You're buying that stock sale. Right. You know, the, the, with physical therapy practices and anything that's with a license that, especially with the contracts and for reimbursement and to not disrupt cash flow, you oftentimes, especially like for, for us. So it, we, we're not in your state. We don't have a practice in your state. So if we were to acquire this practice, we would have to buy it as a stock sale. Even if it said type of sale, you know, your choice, you could have an asset sale or you could uh, do a stock sale. Like we would have to do a stock sale because we do not have a brick and mortar office in the state of Washington. Because if we did, if we did an asset sale or if we came over to compete with you and did a de novo, and we wanted to try to, you know, enroll in all the insurance plans. It's going to take a while. Some of the insurance plans might even be closed off. They might not even allow for uh, new practices to actually get on the panel, right? So mm-hmm. that is a little bit of what's the advantage of it. But then, and this kind of like further down the road of of the whole deal. But then we assume the the liabilities of of the history of the practice. Obviously, in the in the purchase agreement, we would have things like. Um, you know, reps and warranties. And, you know, if there was some, uh, a patient litigation that was maybe filed a month ago or six months ago, but we didn't find out about it until after we acquired the practice, um, we want to make sure that we're covered uh, against that. But there's some things that could pop up afterwards that could, you know, disrupt the practice a little bit if you're buying the entity. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that includes uh, retroactive, like retro payments from Medicare or other payers, like if they're trying to yeah. claw back and get some other payments, like overpayments or or whatever, or audits or whatever. Um, you know, the nice the nice thing in this day and age, you know, when when you look at a business online and, and you're you know you're in a negotiation, you can spend a couple hours and you can go on Google and you can find out a ton of information about that business. You know, and, and that's just part of your due diligence. I, I've done it before where I've gone online to do my due diligence and found out that the owner hadn't been paying his work comp insurance. The corporation was actually an inactive corporation. It was trying to sell me this corporation through stock sale and the corporation's an, an inactive corporation. I could have gone that day and actually filed for ownership of that corporation. So you really have to dig deep and do some due diligence. And it, the nice thing is, it's all out there. Google will give you everything. <laughs> right. Right. Anything else with this uh, business summary page? No. That's fine. Okay. Uh, let's see. We got some of the preliminary numbers, which are... So now we're going back, you know, like a, a year-by-year breakdown. Let me zoom in here a bit. 
any thoughts or considerations with these? So a couple of, you know, a couple of big things. You look at sales. Okay. You know, 2021 through 2022, you know, 2020, we all know what happened there. 2021 was a plus or minus. 2022, we see the growth. Discretionary earnings are always a huge red flag. You always have to dig deep into that. Again, we look at the, you know, the fixed assets as of March 22. And the other thing I love that's listed here is the accounts payable, accounts receivable. And when you buy the practice, the accounts receivable that come with it. But one thing you have to keep in mind, accounts receivable at November 22 listed at 655,000. That's just what's out on the books. That's not what's actually collectible. So, you know, just off the top, and I have some other numbers that we'll talk about later, just off the top, if you're only collecting 50% of your AR, which is a typical write-off, 50, 52%, you know, that $655,000 is now half. So, so, so it's like you know, 325. Yep. So you really have to look into the numbers and really dig deeply into them. Don't take them at face value because as we see in a few minutes, you can't take any of this at face value. Right. All right. Next page, suppliers, competitors. We talked about that. They're using WebPT, other, you know, Owens recovery for uh, blood flow restrictions, some other things like clinically competitors nothing, they talked about. No, nothing spectacular, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing amazing. So it's just an outpatient orthopedic PT practice yeah. that can do spinal yeah. endorsement for manipulation. Uh, this is cool. The key employees, obviously, we would want the therapist to stick around, right? So there's a little bit of a breakdown of like where they went to school, their area specializations. Awesome. Any thoughts there? So, or you know, on? first thing we have to look at is we have a senior therapist, two staff therapists, and a per diem therapist. First question is always going to be, and I'm making the, I'm making an assumption that senior, senior therapist is the owner. Is the owner a practicing physical therapist? And if the owner is a practicing physical therapist, you have to replace that salary when you buy the practice. And you probably will have to replace it 1.5 times because an ownership mentality, that owner's going to see as many patients as they can where a staff there, they're not going to. So it's going to cost you more to replace that therapist. I just jump back to the listing because sometimes they'll say like absentee owner or not. So if it's not listed, then yes, I would agree that the senior therapist here is probably the owner who then may treat patients for the next six to 12 months, or they may say that they're not interested in that. So, yeah. but when it comes time to add backs, that's something huge that you have to keep in mind because that add back is actually deleted because you have to replace that salary eventually. Right. And I love the 1.5 because owners have that mentality of, uh, you know, treating more patients, uh, being flexible with their schedules, coming in earlier, later. Uh, we're speaking with the practice owner right now. And he's like, yep. yeah, we're open six days a week and, you know, including Saturdays. And I go, oh, okay, cool. Great. So who comes to, who works on Saturdays? And he goes, just me. And I'm like, oh no. I'm like, yep. <laughs> we're going to have to replace that. You know, <laughs> that's a huge replacement. Or he stays on for a year or two and continues, you know, that type of uh, a schedule. Yeah. But again, we, you know, when you look to purchase, you know, you don't want it for a year. You want it for 10 years down the road. So if he, you know, it always comes back to if he got hit by a bus tomorrow, what's going to happen? 
And you have to keep that in mind. Go back up real quick to insurances. Um, sure. You know, here in Washington, there is a lot of Medicaid. So we look at their in-network providers. It's all HMO, or it's all PPOs. It's all good quality, with the exception of DSHS Medicaid. So there is a Medicaid component, probably not a lot. So again, I look at this insurance makeup, and I say, okay, you, you know, they're probably you know, if I had to guesstimate, it's probably $110 a visit, $115 a visit is what, if we look deeply into the financials, it's probably $110 to $115 a visit is what they're averaging. Because the out of networks, the Ambetter, the Amerigroup, the Coordinated Care, the United Healthcare, they're all the low paying Medicaid and Medicare Advantage. So they have a really nice makeup of insurances which will help. But again, 115 bucks a visit, as we talked earlier at 2.3 million, you know, I calculated at $120 a visit, four therapists treating almost 20,000 visits, something has to break. It can only last for so long. There's more about that in a minute. We'll keep going. Sure, sure. All right. Financial information, a little bit more financial income statement and forecast 2019 to 2022 that the company prepared they are doing cash accrual or cash accounting. And we're looking at 2019. So I like this because so like when we're speaking with practice owners, we're getting, you know, we're saying, can you send us the last three years of your tax returns, the last three years of your financials? And it's great to see 2019 because that was the year before the world changed. So that's kind mm -hmm. of like a picture of a practice, you know, back when things were fairly, you know, normal. And then you kind of see the trend of how did they fare during 2020? How did they hopefully get out of that in 2021 and then whatever financials they have for 2022. Yeah. So first thing I kind of look at is, you know, 2019, they did 2.1 million. 2021, they did 50 or 2020, they did $50,000 less. I'm not sure what PT practice in the United States basically was even 2019 to 2020 to almost 2021. Pretty incredible, right? Like it's hugely incredible. Like almost too good to be true, is what you're saying. A little yes. I I will be honest, my offices took a 30, 40, 50, 40 percent hit. We were down 40 percent in 2020. People weren't coming to physical therapy in 2020. In March, April, May, people did not want to come to physical therapy. And that, that includes this state. You're in the same state as this listing. So it is very relevant what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So We'll just assume, again, compensation to officers is in there. It has to stay in there because if they're stepping away, we have to replace them. You know, they did $180,000 $180, in compensation to the officers last year. I think that's fair to keep it there. That's one and a half PTs, you know, 1.75 PTs. I think you need to keep that number in there when we talk about addbacks. What's interesting, though, you look at salaries and wages. When we look at physical therapy practices, kind of a couple of numbers to keep in mind. Your total revenue, if you want to make a 20% profit margin, your total revenue, you have to break down salaries and wages. You have to break down your rent or your fixed expenses, your admin, and your marketing. So to hit a 20% profit margin, those four that I talked about need to be 80%. According to these numbers, they had 
36% of their expenses went to labor, 4% to rent, 2% to marketing, admin, then in, you know, the numbers are kind of skewed, so we can't really get a true admin. But if we look at our direct expenses, our fixed expenses, and our marketing, we're at 42%. So if we add 15% administratively, we're now at 57%. So if we do some, just some real quick math, and again, we look at the 100% total, 57% expenses, we have a 43% profit margin. If we take that to 156, 988, times it by 43%, that's $927,000 profit, cash flow, if you want to call it. Remember on the screen one, it said we had $1.3 million cash flow. So in an amazing world, these numbers show us we're actually at a $920,000 cash flow. Call it EBITDA if you want to. Four times that, there's kind of your value. But totally par for the course for some of these broker listings or these type of listings where the EBITDA or the cash flow is inflated or there's a little bit of a, a, a skewed presentation. Yes. You know, you you look at a couple of things I look at in here. So again, by our estimate, you did 19,000 visits, but your salaries and wages went down $75,000. First of all, hmm, what happened there? And that maybe it was just a receptionist. Who knows? You know, we look at repairs and maintenance and, and you will go from 11 to 21 to 23 to 162. I'm going to assume 130 of that was your TIs that were done for the new space. That's what it looks like to me. You see the reductions in rent. They did talk about renegotiating their lease. Yeah. You know, taxes and, and licenses. Okay. You know, fairly flat. Um, I would want to dig deeper into taxes and licenses because I will tell you here in Washington, we have a business and occupations tax and based on their 2.2, 2.3 million dollars, that B&O tax is $40,000. So looking at licenses doesn't cost you anything to license in Cal in Washington, you know, $125 a year. Your business license is not going to be. So there's a, a big discrepancy there in licensing and taxes. Did they run their personal taxes? Who knows? It, it's just a number. That number's high and you want to find out why. You know, they didn't depreciate anything because this is through November last year. Advertising was cut in half. Why? What happened there? The big thing is pension and profit sharing. What is this and where did it come from? Yeah. And, because, and so the 95 grand in 2019, then COVID, and they spent almost an extra 100,000 during COVID. So do you think maybe, maybe he said to the, the therapist or the staff said, I'm not going to pay you guys fixed salary. It's going to be like performance pay. Otherwise, I'm going to have to furlough you. And so yeah. maybe their compensation came in this bucket. What do you think? Could be. Or in 2020 and 2021, what happened? PPP loans. Oh, so the profit sharing through there, even though uh, we don't want to kind of it isn't it's part of the practice's income the the PPP loans but it's not real income correct so it's not it's not from the service right is you know 
Nowhere in these numbers does it talk about PPP loans, but I guarantee smart business owners file for PPP loans because of the uncertainty of the time. So again, how did you go from 95000 to almost $400,000 in profit sharing? Where'd that money go? Uh, oh, and uh, employee retention credit, employee tax retention credit could be. Right. Could be. And, and that's you know, like 20, 30, you know, grand per employee. Yeah. But that's not, you know, that's something that is not going to get transferred back right. to the new owner. So that has to get removed from there. It's an add back you can't add back. So again, kind of a red flag. Um, you know, then it has other deductions and we'll go to that in a second because there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense in there. You know, so just kind of some things I got to keep in mind. You know, employee benefits went up 10, you know, went up a little bit. Again, what exactly are those employee benefits? Are they paying 100% of insurance? Who knows? That you know, Those things need to be dug deeper into to find out what they really consist of. And that the, from 2019 to 2020, there was from 38 grand to 18 grand. So that's like probably getting people off of health insurance or furloughing them or right. whatever, or transition them from W2 to 1099. You know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? All right. Uh, deductions or move on? Move on. Okay. Because this, this next page is these additional deductions, you know, a, a car and truck. So he's, what's, he probably bought something in 2021 to go from 18 to, to only 2400. They have a biller as one of their employees. So billing services, you know, 2%. That's, that's, you're already claiming the salary above because they're part of the salary. So I'm not quite sure what that two percent is. So how would there be a how would there be a deduction for the service if you have a a, a salaried employee completing right. that service? Correct. It's like you're you're doing both. Like you're trying to get the deduction as the wages or as labor, but then also of the service as if you were outsourcing it or or uh, uh, yeah, outsourcing it. Right. You know, communications. Those all your phones and stuff. Consulting. Obviously, the eighty three hundred dollars he paid somebody to. Put evaluation this, together. This, this broker to, to make yeah. this <laughs> memorandum. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is contact, contract labor. It said above, there is a per diem physical therapist that I'm assuming is a contract labor. But you only spend $800 in a year on contract labor. Again, doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing to look at is the continuing education. Spending thirty twenty nine thousand dollars in con ed, kind of keep in the back of your mind what is it and why, you know other fees that's a myriad of stuff insurance nothing crazy janitorial, you know laundry uniforms meals twenty five thousand dollars in meals and thirty nine thousand dollars in travel. Both of those inflated compared to twenty nineteen. Yeah, you know supplies. Something went up in supplies, but, you know, again, need to dig a little deeper in that. But what we'll find interesting is, you know, these are additional expenditures. Now, let's go to the next page. And, you know, nothing crazy in here. Officer life insurance disability, that's fine. You know, that'll go away when when the owner goes away. 
Um, you know, nothing crazy. But now let's go one more page. And this is, now we're talking about this add back cash. So, you know, we had our, our, our operating income of $241,000. The owner's compensation, which was pay, pay compensation of $183,000 now is $239,000. We have family compensation of $100,000. Again, we have these defined benefit programs, which we saw earlier, the pension, I'm assuming it's a captive insurance or something like, like that. Who knows? Um, the one-time repairs and maintenance, that's your TI and TI improvements. Owner expenses for marketing, $8,700. But now go back up to the main cash flow. What do we spend total in marketing? It was like, Six hundred and seventy dollars, I think. Was it six or seven hundred? Yeah, let's go up. Like, I think it's three pages up. Let's see what we look. What we did. Go down one. Advertising. We spent thirty five thousand dollars in advertising. So we spent a lot less in advertising, but that the owner. So now let's go back to. I think it was thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. Thirteen fourteen. Go down one more. So the owner also spent eighty seven hundred dollars in marketing. We spent $35,000 in meals and only $1,500 was the owner. On the prior books, we spent $29,000 in Con Ed. With the $8,700 in marketing, could that be like just some management fee, like someone that they're paying an agency to run the marketing maybe? And the total ad spend or the total expenditure up, up above was thirty five grand for the year for last year, the trailing 12 or the 12 months or 11 months of last year of 2022. And maybe... The, I don't know, the owner's expense owner's as if seat. they, as if they completed a part of the, uh, like maybe their cost to go visit physicians. I don't know. What do you think? Exactly. And that's so, you know, when you look at marketing, marketing is typically, it's a combination. It's your advertising on Google and Facebook. It, you know, it's buying your tchotchke stuff, your prescription pads and all that stuff. But what did the owner pay? Cause basically this tells me. This is an ad back. The owner paid $8,700 into the marketing. Or there's $8,700 of marketing that won't be used again because the owner's leaving. What is that? It just makes no sense whatsoever. And you saw 2019, 2020, it was $20,000, some $20,000, $25,000. But what I really, really found interesting is the owner's con ed. So up prior, our total con ed on our P&L was only $29,000, but the owner's con ed is $42,000. So if you look down here, um, continuing education, 29052. So on your profit and loss, you have an expense of $29,000 in con ed. But your owner is adding back $42,000 in Con Ed. Makes no sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So now we're getting to the, you know, we're now getting to adjustments. These, these are add backs. These are things that they're saying once the owner leaves are no longer going to be taken by the owner. They get to stay in the business. 
So now you're looking at $943,000 in expenses added back. I just kind of go, where did this, did he have a money tree out back that he was just pulling stuff off of and putting it in the business? Because it makes no sense at all. Again, we looked at the numbers and if you're running a 40% profit margin, you're only making $900,000 profit. Now you're adding back $950,000 of profit into the $242,000 that you had prior? Doesn't make sense. And the biggest thing that doesn't make sense are those defined benefit packages of $388,000. What is it? The family compensation of $100,000. I will assume, and that could just, that could be dividends taken, but if it's dividends taken, it has nothing to do with cash flow. That's off the balance sheet, not off the PL. Right. And your $239,000 in employee compensation through November, but yet above in the PL, it was only $188,000 or $183,000. Where's the difference? Numbers just don't make sense. And, and, and there's just, there's too many areas where, like, too many different sections of numbers don't make sense. Correct. It's one Correct. thing where, you know, like, we're like, oh, hold on, we don't understand, you know, you know, the marketing thing. And then maybe there's an explanation, right? But like when there's a common theme of like, these numbers don't really match up and we're looking at different pages and there should be a little bit more like alignment or cohesiveness of these numbers and they're a little all over the place. Well, and, and you know, you look at, you know, one-time repairs and maintenance of 137.108, but down in the bottom. Several one-time repairs were made in 2022 will not be recurring. This was adjusted such that the net expense of those repairs is $25,000. So what made up the other $111,000 of one-time repairs and maintenance? So as what I would do, if I was really, really interested in this, I would take all these numbers and I would start to remove a lot of these addbacks, which don't make sense. Or question, you know, one, again, one thing is, you know, you look at the con ed or there wouldn't be $42,000 back because you only spent 29 on the P and L, you know, the one-time repairs and maintenance of 137 with down here, you tell me it's only 25. So I would change that 137 and make it only 25. And I would start to revise these numbers to get a more accurate EBITDA. And then I would go back and they would need to explain why it should be that 137, 108. Right. Why should it be 427674? Even if you take half, again, we figure a practice like this should be pushing out $600,000 of EBITDA. $700,000 of EBITDA. Six to seven, somewhere in that range. Based off the, the two practices, the revenue size, the staff. Yeah. The size of the practice, you know, $2.3 million, that size practice should be pushing off a good $700,000 EBITDA. Actually, but instead, they're, what is it, 276 or something like that? Well, it's, it, you know, they're now talking it's 1.3 because that's the cash. You know, they're using cash flow and EBITDA, and they're one and the same, but they're separating them apart. Uh, down discretionary one, cash flow. Yeah. We covered. Yeah. So, you know, they're talking this, this discretionary cash flow. 
that's that discretionary cash flow is the add back that that's really EBITDA that's being added back. These one thing that and hey, I'll admit I've done it before. Practice owners use their business as an ATM, and they run everything through it. And it, when it comes time to sell, when it comes time to evaluate, you have to push all this stuff back through. So, you know, these are things that the owner took out of their ATM that they've now got to put back. You know, again, it's not $1.2 million. I will tell you that. It's probably between seven and nine is more realistic. But that's what you have to think about is all these add backs to really, truly get discretionary cash flow is EBITDA. So when you, you know, when you buy the practice, they're giving you $489,000 that's in the bank. Again, is that PPP? Is it forgiven? Is it not forgiven? You know, it's funny. They have $655,000 of AR. And again, that's gross AR. That's not net AR. And, and like we said, know collections on this will be 50 to 52%. So 325 grand of the 655. I, yeah. So what, what's interesting is. I went through, because there's a page here in a second that we'll dig deeper in. It's probably 250 grand you'll get out of it when you really look at it. You know, fixed asset or current assets at 330, 3,300, you know, fixed assets at 225. But yet you look at the fits that it's leasehold improvements. It's a non-compete covenant, which you really can't put a value on. I'm assuming they call that an intangible asset. And they're placing it at $118,000. You know, setup costs, setup costs for what? I'm not quite sure what setup costs are. Is that, is that the lease? Is that the deposit on the lease, which was probably one month's rent or two months rent? Not that much. You know, signage again, you've depreciated it. Automobile, you depreciate it. Medical equipment depreciated the books and videos, which have no value. Right. Office furniture and equipment, computer equipment, which is all going to be depreciated. So, you know, the fixed fixed assets are way out of range, as we talked early. I don't agree with the assets. $1.5 million in assets. I don't see where you're getting it from. Uh, any, I just noticed this. I didn't see this the first go around uh, when I, before I sent this to you. Yeah. Company owns, company owns a non-compete agreement from a prior partner that was bought out several years ago, the non-compete is included in the sale. What are your thoughts on that? So first thing is non-competes are really hard from a legal standpoint. My wife is an HR attorney. Two things that are really hard to stick with are non-competes and employee contracts. You know, by the definition of the IRS, physical therapists in a private practice aren't 1099 employees. They're W-2 employees. A 1099 employee can sign an employment contract. A W-2, not really. You know, you're an employee. And most states are at will employment. So an employment contract really is useless. A non-compete has a lot of holes in it. A lot, there's a lot of Swiss cheese there. What's the length of it? What's the distance of it? There's a lot of things that you don't know. There's a lot of things with the non-compete that can probably, the person who has the non-compete against them can get around. Biggest thing is what's the expiration? Several years ago, is it five? Is it 10? You know, they only have a certain lifetime value. Typically, it's five years. Well, if it's four years of the non-compete, 
and you've got one year left, it doesn't have any value. So, you know, that intangible asset becomes lost. It's like saying when you go through assets and, you know, name and goodwill, and you'll see this a lot of times in financials, and they'll put a price on name and goodwill. How can you put a price on the name of the business? You can't, unless you're Coca-Cola. How can you put a price on goodwill? What is the goodwill? I guarantee they have no internal marketing system that follows up consistently with their past patients. So where's the goodwill? Because you have five physician relationships that the owner has that he's developed over 17 years, not really goodwill. Because part of the sale is him staying on, which again, when he stays on, he's going to be paid to stay on. So there's a, an added salary to keep him on. And part of the sale is him transferring that goodwill to the new owner. So yeah, I don't, non-competes, I don't really see much value in it. All right. So we reviewed the assets here. Did, did we cover the liabilities? Yeah, nothing, Not nothing here. crazy. He's taken out a million dollars and over the years. Yeah, nothing crazy there. It's nothing. I kind of, I always look at liabilities and go, eh. So now we, we look at this again. This is kind of where they're trying to base their value. You know, you got $500,000 cash. Okay. Great. We know that's $500,000 if it's coming with us. The net receivables, again, it's an inflated number. The current assets, fine. The fixed assets, not a good number. The intangible assets, not a good number. Total liabilities, you know, they're saying $1.4 million is really kind of what the value of this business is, is $1.4 million. I disagree with it. And, you know, it's, it's increased year over year, even, you know, since 2019. Almost doubled. Yeah. Almost doubled between 2019 and 2022, even though a lot of the other, you know, like the business performance, you know, it was kind of leveled off and yeah, but flat. Yeah. Yeah. It's virtually flat. And, and again, part of this is, you know, you see an increase in cash in 2020, 2021, which I assume is some PPP. You know, the accounts receivable has doubled between 2019 and 2021. Again, your fixed assets, your tenant improvements, your equipment, you've gone up five times between 2019 and 2021. Your net intangible assets are the same. They're flat each year at 118. So what exactly is their intangible asset? I guarantee they're, that the non-compete is what they're calling the intangible asset which really does not have a value. No. So go down one more. This is what I really, truly love is, you know, we talked earlier, it actually lists $655,000 and that was through November. So as of 1220, your AR is $715,000. When you look at AR, a good AR, 80%, of your AR should be between zero and 60 days. The remaining 20 is 60 days on because most of your AR, you're going to get between zero and 60 days. Medicare pays you in two weeks. You know, your Aetna's, your Blue Cross, your Blue Shield, they pay in three weeks. 
your work comps pay in 45 days. So most of your AR, 80% of your AR should be in that 60 days. So we look at this AR and let's just look at 53% of our AR is zero to 60 days. What's even more crazy is 30% of that AR is more than 120 days. You're not going to collect it. Yeah. You know, that 181 to 365, so six to 12 months, you got $85,000 and then greater than 36, unless they are a lien, you're never going to collect it. So in all reality, let's just take our, our zero to 90. So you've got the 299, 365, you've got the 79290, which looks great. The 58089 is a little high. You know, you got $300,000 there. You're going to get half of it. So, you know, I, again, if you're lucky, you're going to get $250,000 of that $715,000. If you're lucky. So, because it is a cash practice and it's a cash accounting that's you know, money that's coming in, but that's not an asset. You can't count $715,000 in the assets because you're not contractually, you will not get a $715,000. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to disclose. I mean, there's only so much true, true reality that they would want to disclose, which would, you know, it kind of hurts their overinflated asking price, right? So if they said, right. you know, it, it's closer to two or 300 grand instead of the 715 or earlier higher up before they went into November or before they went into no December, then it was what, 655 or something like that. So, yeah. So, you know, even at 655, again, let's be generous and say you're going to get half of it. You're going to get 312, 325, you know, and that's it. So you can't count that as an asset. You can't count $655,000 of an asset. You are not going to get it's, you know, the 458,000 cash in the bank. That's cash in the bank, but the six hundred fifty-five or seven hundred fifteen thousand dollars in AR is not an asset because you're not going to get it all, right? And then after this, uh, just location, potential funding structure. We could, you know, talk about that another time. Kind of, kind of going long here, so we can wrap things yeah. up. So, Andrew, this is awesome. Uh, are you guys currently hiring? If there's a physical therapist that's watching, wants to relocate to California to Washington or if they live in those states, are you guys hiring right now? We are always hiring. We're always looking to grow. We're always looking to expand. You know, one thing we started last year is what we call a lead PT program. So we look at all our therapists in both California and Washington, those that have a potential to grow with the company, to be a clinical director, to be a a management, et cetera. I put together a whole program that we spend about nine months meeting once a month going through marketing, going through clinic metrics, going through operations, going through HR. We're always looking for people to join. Um, again, we've got the seven offices. I personally love Washington. So <laughs> always looking to grow. And again, always looking to add offices. So, you know, I will even build an office around a good PT. And, but you know, do they need to pony up some money? Do you want them to, to pony up 20, 30% and they'll uh, co-own it? Or do you want to own 100% of it? You know, I'd be open. I'd be open to the co-ownership. I have no. I'm open to that as well. If there's any PTs listening in the New York or New Jersey area, you know, I'll be honest. You know, up to this point, I 
100%. I've owned 100% of everything I've done. But what I've also realized is there's good PTs out there that don't necessarily, they, they want to be good PTs. They want to be good business people. They don't necessarily have the funds or the knowledge to grow the business. I'm more than happy to help grow the business. So either way, I'm always open. Awesome. We're also hiring a concierge pain relief, home physical therapy in the New York City area. A little plug there. If you find this interesting and insightful, if you're a practice owner, and if you want more of these financial breakdowns, we got lucky on this off- offering memorandum where we can kind of go line by line through a lot of the financials because not all of the listings have that. Uh, and we've had other guests on the show where we break down the financials like that. And it's usually just the listing and not the financial breakdown. So we got lucky. And then I got lucky with uh, getting on Andrew's schedule because he's a finance guy and a physical therapist and practice owner. So that's it. If you uh, find this insightful, subscribe to the YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. We'll catch you next time here on the Dave Kittle Show. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.